I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Pundit is the football trivia game. Every sale using the code LIONS at checkout now gives a whopping 40% discount plus a £10 donation to the Lions Food Hub. Visit punditgames.co.uk to order your copy. Punditgames.co.uk, code LIONS. You're listening to Achtung Normal. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the regular Friday morning show. Joining me this um, grey morning here in London is Mr. Neil Fisler. How are you, Neil? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Uh, just swerving work, and uh, <laughs> I managed to do on the Friday morning. Always, always a good move on a Friday. Um, listeners, we were weighing up how, what the kind of show to do this week, and Neil and I had a brief um, uh, message uh, exchange on, on WhatsApp about um, the, the show today. And Neil, I think we probably agreed there's not much more we can really add to the current playoff situation. We had that two-all draw up there at Luton on um, Tuesday night, and clearly the Lions are looking tired and in contention. But I don't know we've got anything new to add to the table for this show anyway. So I thought we might touch on some of the old history stuff, which we both enjoy. Yeah, definitely, mate. I think that uh, you have a think that you did a show with Harry, didn't you, did. to, uh, yeah. to yeah. game on Tuesday. And there's not an awful lot. The point of something for the weekend, sir, is that we look at Millwall News uh, and, and the week's events at Millwall. And uh, there yeah. isn't an awful lot. Well, the game's so... come so thick and fast. They have been, I mean, it's part of the reason for the performance, in my opinion, at least, um, up there at Luton, which was um, at both good points, but also, um, you know, some points where you'd say we, we looked, um, every, got every right to look stretched and tired because of the number of games, big games we've been playing. Another one tomorrow, of course, with uh, the visit of Norwich City. Um, but as I said, we, we thought it'd be nice just to do one of our looking back shows. These are popular. Um, big shout out, incidentally, to Jazz Lion, who's one of our YouTube commenters. Um, we, we do these podcasts do go out on YouTube, put it out automatically on there. But it's a strange thing, but people do listen to the show on YouTube. So um, shout out to all your YouTube listeners, and a big shout out to Jazz Lion for um, basically saying nice things about the history shows. It's, it's nice to get good feedback for these shows. Now, it's it's for me, it's a bit of a method of putting something back into the club in a way, just to look back and see. Uh, games, figures and personalities of the past. Yeah, and I've actually got an apology to make to uh, James, MFC Daisy, okay. on uh, Twitter, who sent me a message, a direct message last weekend. And uh, like a Wally, uh, mate, I saw your message and then I just, I've been, I, yeah, we've been that busy updating and editing yeah. the Millwalls who, this week i totally forgot to reply mate he just said hi neil just wanted to say love you and nicks something for the weekend and also any chance of any more history pods soon love listening to them uh well uh, yeah we can take this as my twitter reply mate yeah we're gonna <laughs> do one for you we've got quite a bit of stuff between us um these these shows do take a little bit of research neil and they're not easy to you can't just knock them out you can't blag them in the way i think sometimes you can 
um, wing, you know, some of the live reaction shows, if you want to put it that way. They, these do they take a little bit of research. Um, but you're so we've got some random players. We've got some games randomly chosen from the past, and also to finish, we'll be looking back at a Norwich fixture from the past. Um, and your choice, Neil, for a random player. I think you said you were working on this this chat for the Who's Who uh, update that you're doing. This is a nice story. This is Angus Morrison, player from the past. Well, yeah, he, he, I think he joined us in, what, the September 1957, didn't he? Uh, so he, yeah, but basically Angus Morrison, he was a Scotsman. Yeah. And uh, serving in the services, got signed by Derby County. Great, great story. They signed him for a box of cigars. This is from the Highland Leagues, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we signed Tony Cascarino for a set of tracksuits or something, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. That was football in that era, wasn't it? You know, there, there wasn't the. I mean, clearly Inverness Cali. Uh, well, this we're talking about as as um, I hinted at Royal Air Force um, that come nineteen forty three. So not much money knocking around, and certainly for transfers, not much money. But a box of cigars was the the fee for Angus Cameron Morrison's. Uh, signature there. It's a nice story, isn't it? Yeah, but he was part of the Derby side that obviously outclassed and humiliated Charlton in the <laughs> 1940s. <laughs> we didn't actually play in that game. Right. Well, he actually played in, uh, yeah, there were two leg games that season. So he played in the third, fourth and fifth rounds. Then played in a semi-final a couple of years later when they lost to Man United. Moved to Preston. Won a second division title in '51. Was an FA Cup finalist, scoring uh, in a three-two defeat to West Bromwich Albion yeah. uh, outside, and uh, had been there forever and a day. And was pretty much of approaching the veteran stage of his career. I know, yeah, but I know he was only thirty-one, and uh, but you were almost a veteran back then, Nick, weren't you? Well, looking yeah. at his photo now, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, um, when you see photos of, of men of that era, and I think, I think you know, I appreciate black and white photography and, and all the rest of it from these far-off days, but I guess it's the weight of life and, and wartime, but everyone does look old. I mean, you know, looking at the photo of him here in, in, in a Millwall shirt, he, as you say, he signed for us in 19... 19- 57. So what's that making him there? That's uh, 30, 33, 34, 34. Um, no, 31. 31. So, but he looks old. Um, I think life was an ageing thing back then. I, I think it's it, not just football, but you see it. All photos of that era, everyone does look aged, don't they? Yeah, but there wasn't any lurch uh, as the performance chef, as they call them now, don't they? You're your training ground <laughs> Isn't a chef, he's a performance chef. And, uh, <laughs> no attention to moisturising your skin or making yourself look great for, for your Instagram account either or anything of that kind. Um, these were blokes that yeah. served in the army, Royal Air Force in Angus's case, um, in war, and and then had made their living in, in, in... Football was a tough sport back then, Neil, as well, wasn't it? I mean, you know, broken legs and, and the, 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 the kind of quality of the medical care, I mean, we, we, we laugh about it now, but Back then, it was fairly minimal. So, you know, um, one bad injury, and that was probably your career largely gone. And you're back to working often, you know, manual labour in, or in, industrial labour or something of like that. So, And it's true to Millwall form. When he arrived, he arrived on the 30th of September, 1957. There was a bit of pessimism around the den. I know that. Nothing changes. <laughs> Well, we just told Charlie Hurley to uh, Sunderland for about 20 grand. Yeah. And Ron Gray was keen to sign some attacking players. And Mickey Purser, there must, there must be a podcast with a member of the Purser family to be done somewhere. This, that would be well, wonderful. Actually, that would be wonderful. I'd love to do that. Yeah, well, he actually assured journalists that money was available to be spent to avoid relegation to Division 4, but only after debts had been paid off and probably after he'd restocked his showroom two or three times, I think. (laughs) 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 If Mickey was short of stock in the old days, the legend has it that he 
yeah, he would sell a couple of players, or well, he'd sell a player, <laughs> and uh, he'd yeah, go down to the car. Things about him. I mean, obviously, the legendary situation was we got beat. They go and throw a brick through his, his car showroom windows, and I, I don't know how often that happened, but um, I think it did happen on, on a few occasions. But mixed mixed feelings. To, I mean, I, th- I think Mill Chairman up until really the era of John Berylson, Neil. I mean, they've always been fairly um, untrusted characters, and probably Mickey Purser was uh, the archetype of untrusted untrusted Mill Chairman for that reason, flogging off talent whenever he needed a few quid. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I think that John Berylson's got off lightly. <laughs> because, He's put money in. <laughs> Hangs in, and he hasn't got a car showroom on the old Kent Road, has he? For when something goes wrong, <laughs> and the that does help. That does help. You've got to go a long way to find John Berrison's windows to throw anything through if you if you were so motivated. Um, yeah, so Angus Morrison, as you say, he's he's joined us late in his career. Um, not a bad record: twenty games and five goals for us. Though, it's not bad at that age, thirty, late thirties. Uh, early 30s, actually. Yeah, um, it costs Mill £1,750. There's a different era of, of transfer fee as well. Signing on and dashing 200 miles by train in the space of three hours. It's, that must be on the um, the Flying Scotsman, the famous steam engine, to do it that quick. Yeah, but I don't know, mate. Yeah, no, well, I'm a Millwall fan. Yeah, but well, that's the territory <laughs> of Charles. <laughs> the, Mall- the Mallard <laughs> listeners. It's on the Mallard. <laughs> You're not the Millwall I now, I tell you, mate. No, but seriously, uh, yeah, there's pessimism around the den. We'd just been spanked by QPR a week before. They were confident coming down to us. 48 hours before, we'd been beaten 3-0 at Swindon. Mm. And we left with five wins and five defeats, one draw. And uh, Ronnie Gray obviously needed to bolster the forward line, so up went the call. You don't know how they you don't know how they went about signing players in those days because it wouldn't be somebody that you'd naturally look upon as a mm. potential sign. I guess he, I, I, yeah, I guess he must have been transfer listed. Uh, but but to sign somebody from Preston. Who, yeah, quite yeah. a strange one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a but there was a, yeah, yeah. yeah, there was a race against the clock because obviously he arrived into Euston at 4.30. And bearing in mind that we were kicking off at 7.30, it's a bit tight to complete that deal, wasn't it? Yeah, and the underground didn't go... go well, we went to New Cross. We've had an underground... I'm go back on the train subject now, listeners, aren't we? Not doing my reputation any good here. Speculating on the underground journey he would have made. Yeah, well, can you imagine the meltdown that would be on Twitter now? Uh, well, if he gets off yeah, at everybody at 4.13, he's supposed to be playing at 7.30. Yeah, but the Angus Morrison's on his way down to London. They'd be mithering and <laughs> close the club and uh, all kinds of stuff. Worrying, was he going to make it on time? A great story about Ron Gray, manager asking if he'd brought his boots with him on the train. <laughs> you see, I don't quite believe that because the day before's press report saying that Millwall were hoping to sign somebody yeah. to play in this game, obviously, Angus Morrison, they didn't name the player. Yeah. But then after he'd played, there was a story, I think it was in the Daily Mirror or the Daily Herald, I read them both, and Ron Gray had asked him if he'd bought his boots, which apparently came as a bit of a shock to Angus. <laughs> uh, but I would, but I would have thought that uh, that was what he was signed for was to play in this game. Yeah, but but I think as seventeen, uh, but I think as the first seventeen minutes of your Millwall career goes. Probably couldn't get much better, really, could it, Nick? I think even the most pessimistic Millwall fans, and there's quite a lot on Hoff, especially on the match day thread, they would find it very difficult to to criticise this guy's first 17 minutes in a Millwall You'd call it an impact player in the modern parlance, um, especially given that he's three hours off the train at at Euston, gone straight down to Coldblow Lane, um, made an immediate impact here, Neil. Um, opening the scoring against QPR for just six minutes. Yep, and then it gets even better for him. Yeah. Even better. Not only is there a goal, 
which people would now be claiming he's a Millwall legend. <laughs> I kid you. <laughs> Apparently, Jake Cooper, if we get promoted this season, is a Millwall is legend. Official? Is that official? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> they actually sent over crosses. Uh, I think I think it was I think it was after about thirteen minutes across for a second goal, which was put into his own net by George Petchy. Mm, Petchy must go. <laughs> yeah, a man that will need no introduction as uh, anyone of a certain age. Uh, yeah, as I think about thirty years later, he ended up man. Or yeah, but it was even less than that. It was about twenty years he later, wasn't it? From, yeah, to put into his own net yep. and uh, then he put over another cross and I think it was Johnny Roach scored this one and uh, it was uh, it was 3-0 and we were 4-0 up at half time things kind of didn't get any better in the second half we only won 5-0 can you imagine now <laughs> yeah what would it's quite a story, isn't it? Coming straight off the train from, from north, up north um, and then, then contributing to the game today. Especially, I mean, I suppose the twist and the story hangs on the fact he wasn't a particularly popular signing. We've only just got um, got rid of, um, probably in the face of some criticism, Charlie Hurley, huge prospect, hugely talented player that will go on to become a Sunderland and Republic of Ireland legend. I think that's probably a, a good way to the correct use of the term in his case. Um, but, yeah, to come down and it's almost kind of... Um, you wouldn't write this story if you are writing a, a play, would you? You'd say it's a little bit of a cheesy storyline. But there it is. He contributed substantially, uh, scored and, and cr- made an impact in the 5 0 win in front of 12,784 patrons of Cold Blow Lane. That's quite a story, you know, I like that. That was an absolute blinding story. When I came across it, I thought this needs to be... You know, this is ideal fodder for our history podcast, isn't it? Something totally irrelevant. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. Well, this is well, this is going to be the, the pattern of the show, listeners. So I don't know if you're looking for any coherent pattern on this show, but it will be random, random fixtures and random players, and whatever crosses Neil and my mind as we as as we as we speak. Um, he would go on after his post Millwall career. I'm going from Neil's book here, which I do recommend, Mill Who's Who, and the update when it comes out. Um, 1957-58, so just one season playing it in the outside left position, 20 games, five goals, I think you've said that. He'd later go on to coach the Ripley Miners Welfare and was a store manager for Rolls-Royce and then worked in the stores of a company called Notzer Engineering till his retirement. Um, born in 1924, he passed away in Derby in uh, December 2002 after... Um, Quite a, quite a career in his way. It's, it's quite a quite a nice little story. Angus Morrison um, certainly made an impact in that fixture there. So that's a great choice there, Neil. Great choice, mate. Um, to, totally chosen at random, but I think we probably the way we're going to do some of these shows in the future is the whole idea of randomness appeals to me. Achtung, Milbein. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Anyway, shall we move along? I've got one here for you, Neil. Another fixture. Got this is Go one on. that I've chosen. I, 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 I was going to do this as a random fixture, listeners, but then when Neil suggested doing this, I thought I'd save this um, fixture. This is on this weekend in 1996. So I've picked out a fixture here as a loss. Uh, Mill nil, Wolves won. Goal scored by, I'm going to guess that's Steve Ball in the nine, uh, 69th minute of, of, a, of a loss. This was a period of intense decline from the top of the table in late 1995 in in December of 1995 this was part of the slide that would see us relegated we were one of the few clubs to top the league quite substantially top the league as well in uh, the early months of the 95-96 season to finish in the relegation zone um, so yeah, goal scored by Steve Ball in, nine, in the 69th minute in front of 9,131 at uh, Zampa Road this game was played on the 2nd of March, 1996. Um, I'm going to read out the, the the starting 11, Neil, if you'll indulge me. There's great names here, and it's it's quite interesting to put these names in the context of such a dramatic collapse, really, um, because there's some good Millwall names in this 11. You've got Casey Keller in goal, uh, back line of uh, Ricky Newman, Jason Van Blurk, uh, Keith Stevens, Ben Thatcher, uh, across the middle, we've got Malkin, Chris Malkin, Bobby Bowery, Alex Ray, Tony Dolby, and then up front, Uwe Fuchs and Sergei Uran, who were sent off in this fixture. Um, I've got a Daily Mirror match report um, regarding the game. Millwall nil, Wolves won. This is uh, from the Daily Mirror uh, the day after. Uh, Millwall nil, Wolves won. So Millwall's boss, Jimmy Nichols, slammed Russian star Sergei Uran after his red card shame at the den, uh, Uran was sent off four minutes four minutes from time for a horrific two-footed lunge at Wolves defender Andy Thompson. The striker then lashed out in frustration at Wolves centre-half Eric Young before leaving the field. But here's the hook, Neil. But Millwall fans amazingly applauded Uran off the pitch. <laughs> he got applauded off after, after a two-footed challenge and then um, pushing and shoving Eric Young. And he responded disgracefully, says the Daily Mirror, by waving back at them. Uran will be disciplined by Jimmy Nicol, who was furious with the way the Russians spent the whole game complaining about the treatment he was receiving from the Wolves' defence. Uh, Nicol raged, I have no sympathy for him. It's a completely different culture and mentality. They seem to complain about everything, but you just have to get on with it. I'll have to dis- discipline him because I don't want half a dozen of the lad- other lads doing something similar. Um, astonishingly, Nickel Jimmy Nickel blamed himself for Steve Ball's 69th minute winner, which condemned the Lions to their fourth defeat in five games. He explained, I was talking to Jason Van Blurk when the goal went in. If I hadn't have been talking to him, he might have been fully concentrating and in the position to stop the goal. <laughs> That's the report. <laughs> what chaotic afternoon at the 10. I don't. I, I have a half a memory of, of of this game. I must have been there, and I've got half. Of, I don't recall it clearly. I do remember Uran getting sent off, but I don't remember the chaos surrounding it. Yeah, that was young. You were nicknamed Ninja, wasn't he, when he was down at the Nigels? That's right. Did he big, play for Wimbledon big, as well, big, Eric Young? Yeah, six foot four lad, wasn't That's he? Great. Welsh international. Yeah, yeah. Welsh international and. Uh, and he had a bit of a reputation as being a bit of a hard man. That was until uh, you until it was Sergey, which was probably the only thing that he ever did in a Millwall shirt, apart from <laughs> uh, apart from uh, you know, apart from go out in London and on the, uh, on the slosh with his uh, with his Russian mate uh, Volkov, uh, uh, Kulkov, um, Sergey Yuran and Vladimir Kulkov was. Yeah, there's actually a Millwall connection in the Wolves side. That was the manager, was Mark McGee. Mark McGee. Cheer up, Mark McGee. He would cheer up when he hey, yeah. took us to promotion. Yeah. Um, but wasn't he? And uh, yeah, but, yeah, but the Wolves side was Mike Stowell, Andy Thompson, uh, Mark Atkins, Eric Young, Neil Emblem. He was a Millwall player. Neil, Neil Emblem, yeah. Wow. Uh, Dean Richards, Steve Corica. Don Goodman, how how choked was he the other night? <laughs> Coincidentally, the great circles of life. We, we just ran. I just ran. I, I haven't looked at the Wolf side at all, listeners. And there's Don Goodman again because he was Mister Miserable on that uh, the Sky TV coverage in the week, Luton Town. He could not bear he the idea we're doing well. 
Yeah, no, yeah, no, he couldn't. Uh, Steve Bull, you're quite yeah. right. Uh, Darren Ferguson, son of yes. Fergie. Yes. And Simon Osborne, the lad that I knew when he played for Bognor Regis Town when I was a young reporter the many, Steve many years ago. Quite remarkable. I know we're a Millwall show listeners, but we will veer off into tangents as, as the fancy takes us. But he was... Um, his scoring rate was incredible. He actually was. Uh, he played for England at one point as well, didn't he, Steve? Ball. He had a, an incredible scoring track record during his, his kind of pomp years at Wolves, um, and he kind of came from nowhere slightly. Steve Ball. I think he was a horses for courses player, wasn't he? he, he he's still a black country legend. Yeah, isn't he? yeah. I do. I think I remember him scoring for England against Scotland. He was and, the um, um, he was the that, I suppose you'd call it a cliche term, really. But he was the archetypal English centre forward. He was huge energy. He was, you know, physically strong, powerful, the kind of player you love to see. I think. I mean, you know, we're all we're all the same footballing culture, and ultimately, and I think it's just one of those standard elements of a side that if it's not there, then you it, it looks slightly lopsided. And Steve Ball was the classic English centre forward, known as Bully, obviously. And he had a very close skinhead style haircut, which obviously added to his his uh, allure. Um, he scored four goals. He's capped thirteen times by England and scored four goals for for the national side, all in the build up to Italia ninety. I don't think he travelled to to the World Cup, if memory serves. Um, but anyway, interesting, interesting story, Steve Ball. Yeah, but you look at that Millwall side; it wasn't actually that bad a side, was it? Casey Keller, no. fantastic goalkeeper for us. Yeah, uh, Ben Thatcher. Thatcher. Um, Kate Rhino's in there. I mean, you've got you've got Alex Ray in midfield. You've got, um, I mean, the, the, the front two of Fuchs and Uran probably promised more than they delivered in in terms of um, uh, of outcomes. I've got a great I've got a great article which I'm going to touch on before we close out on this particular fixture list. It's about Uwe Fuchs. It's from When Saturday Comes. So I'm going to come back to Uwe. Um, but no, I, I mean, that result there, one nil loss was part of a slide that would eventually see us relegated at, at Ipswich, if memory serves now. I think we we drew um, and, and finished up going down, um, which was a grievous blow because it would lead us into, obviously, the, the, the third tier, now called League One, Division Two, I think, back then. And it... it, it, it the, the the club was fully financially stretched, beyond stretched, and being relegated was a blow that almost could have killed us as a club because administration would follow. This is nineteen ninety six. One year later, we'd be in the free fall of um, seeking uh, administration orders and, and and all the rest of it. So um, it was probably as close as the club has come to um, going out of his, of its existence at that at that stage. So. It was a dramatic slide. This result will put us 10th in the table, having been top um, just three months. So we, I think we failed to win. Um, I think I mean, we, we, we barely had a, a victory um, in that second half of the season, which you know put us into the... Yeah, no, I've just called it up. We were top and we won 2-1 at home to Ipswich. Yeah. And then it kind of tits up from there, uh, included in that, well, I think, was our last defeat to the to the train spotters. Yeah, that was back uh, then. I remember top. that game. Yeah, yeah. And then unceremoniously, the next game, we went to Sunderland and got beat 6-0. Yeah, famous, famous and defeat. Yeah, yeah. I think our next win was in on January the 20th when we beat Grimsby 2-1. So that was one hell of a fall from grace, wasn't it? It there must have been some. There must have been absolute turmoil at the club. Well, the story that underpinned uh, it was um, at the start of the season we had Mick McCarthy managing, um, and he, I never liked him as a manager. I'm going to be, I'm going to be upfront, and I couldn't ever, you know, at the time we, we it was probably one of our more, we, we hinted at success in the early nineties without quite a chip. We're going to come back actually to the Derby playoff in a little bit um, once we've done this this piece here. But um, McCarthy as a manager always seemed to me to be living on Bruce Rioch's squad. He had a great squad that he'd inherited from Bruce Rioch in the early 90s, who was, a, a for me, Neil, I, I thought was a great finder and developer of talent, but a, probably a poor man-manager. I think maybe McCarthy was not a bad man-manager, but was not a spotter of talent in any in anywhere near the same league. But anyway, going back to this season... 95, 96, underpinning it was McCarthy's kind of flirtation with the 
Republic of Ireland job. I think Jack Charlton was close to retirement, um, and there was a bit of a Willie Wonty story running in the in, in the in the early months of the season. Uh, and McCarthy was seen as as the natural successor to Jack Charlton to go to Dublin. And I think in the end, obviously, uh, that's what that is precisely what happened. I think it must have destroyed the players' spirit because it's quite a dramatic fall, isn't it, from the top of the table. Um, to finishing in 22nd position just a few months later. Something's gone missing there, and if the manager goes missing, maybe the, the player's desire goes with it or went with it on that occasion. I don't know. Um, yeah, and also not forget that that season, in October, we went up to Everton, who were in the Premier League, yeah. and we put four past them. We won four Famous. Two, it was a League Cup, wasn't it? It was League Cup, went 4-2. Um, yeah, so yeah, real odd mixture of it's a very odd mixture of a season, I suppose. In a way, I mean, I've picked out Sergei Uran as an example um, because it represented the the ambition and the folly of the time. In a way, we'd not long moved to the new ground, listeners. That had been built. I still call it the new ground thirty years ago now, Neil. Um, but the club had stretched itself financially to construct this stadium, which was quite. Um, it was quite remarkable. I, I did a little video the other day for for the club over at the, um, uh, the in the dressing room um, for help to sell the season tickets, and I think they're hooking the season ticket sales this year on this thirtieth anniversary. So I was talking to Max from Mill TV about my memories of that Sporting Lisbon game, and I don't know what your take on it was, Neil, at the time, but. It was. It, I, I, I would. My jaw actually slightly dropped when I walked into the ground. It sounds a bit cheesy now because we've seen so many other stadiums that have been built since. Um, obviously, so on the grand scale with the likes of the Wembley and, and Spurs and Arsenal in their time and, and other other grounds too. But my, this hadn't been done. This was Millwall's was the first new stadium. Um, if unless you exclude, I think Scunthorpe scum, yeah. had a ground, but they're far away the first ground in london um that had been built from scratch and i, I just thought it was <laughs> it sounds a bit weird when you say it now but i was beautiful when i went in there, i couldn't believe that we had done it neil um but it put us well, it was a t- Taylor report wasn't it we had some ambition and yeah and yeah we're going to move on to Reg in a minute because he pops up, he pops dear up. old Reg. Yeah, yeah, all along the way. Um, he's an interesting character. He's, he's one for a podcast one day, Neil. Reg Burr, his life story yeah, is definitely. interesting. Um, yeah, we can't fault his ambition. He wanted ambition for the club. I know we joke about having pizza at a McDonald's on the concourse. We're still waiting yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah. But Reg we couldn't stay at the old ground because it was going to cost too much to redevelop wasn't it yeah yeah and it just wasn't feasible so they built this brand new shiny spanky all singing all dancing stadium yeah ground yeah and they had ambition the ambition was and i think it costed badly was to bring in these two Russians, which is definitely a podcast. <laughs> the, the story behind how we signed these two bloody Russians, but there was a, but there was a trend at the time, wasn't there? I think that Brighton signed a guy called Sergei Gotsmanov, and I can remember, I can remember going to the press conference for that, and uh, and there was and there were some others that came over. I think one of them's son ended up playing for Millwall at, at one stage, didn't they? Yeah. The, um... But, yeah, we can't doubt that these two players were absolutely fantastic players, but probably not that good when you've come from the constraints of Moscow or whatever toilet in Russia that they'd come from. To Southern, they were enjoying the bright lights of London. Probably wasn't. Probably wasn't a great is, mix. Now, no. I mean, the thing is, and um, one of the things I find fascinating about doing these shows, listeners, is that you know we, we obviously follow Millwall and we're looking at Millwall-related characters. But as ever with football, generally, you can never take it out of the times and the context that it, it existed in at that time. So we've signed Sergei Uran and uh, Vasily, Vasily Korkov. That was his name, Vasily Korkov. Russian World Cup stars. Um, I keep using the word Russian. They were Soviet Union World Cup stars because this all <laughs> coincided. Soviet. Yeah, it comes yeah, up with the breakup yeah. of the Soviet Union. Um, you know, not world kind of uh, politics level, not, not just football. 
Um, but it's quite an interesting life. I mean, I've never really looked at uh, Sergei Yaran's uh, life, and I'm just going from Neil's book here. I did a little bit of reading before. The, I haven't got anything else other than Neil's um, uh, biog in the Who's Who book. But uh, Sergei Yaran was born in what is now called Ukraine. Um, he played for Dynamo Kiev um, before moving with the breakup of the of the um, Soviet Union. In 1991, that kind of period, he finished up in playing in Benfica uh, in Portugal, and then FC Porto um, before going back to Moscow. And then bizarrely, in amongst all these European level names, you got Millwall, uh, <laughs> which I must find quite, quite wonderful. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, flung open the curtain. I want a chin. He was... <laughs> I really do. I... <laughs> yeah, but I want them. Sh- They've slung open the Iron Curtain and it put Millwall back 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was a Rusby chose to, he's born in Ukraine, listeners. Um, this is complexities of whatever's going on now. I'm not going to touch on that. He was Ukrainian player of the year in 1990, but he was a Russian international. He chose to play for Russia rather than um, what became his native Ukraine, I guess you'd call it, with the breakup of the of the Soviet Union. Um Interesting, I don't, I don't, you know, and then he goes on after us for this disastrous 13 games, just one goal um, period. Um, alcoholic arrests in cars, driving through Deptford, and they were both well out of condition. You know, but they were both players, as I remember them, where you could just tell by their touch uh, they had European level quality. These, these were players that had played for, you know, what a great technical ability. We go on about Zian Fleming yeah. and his technical ability, and uh, and I and I Vogel Slammer, his technical ability. I know you can bring in to question his other abilities, but but they are very technical players. But these two were on another level, weren't they? These two were well, they were right. These two World were. Cup stars, you know, there's, 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 and and it's. Fitness-wise, no, no, no. They were they were beyond the point of being unfit. I think you and me might give them a run, Neil. Um, not, well, not for not for not for touch, mate. I don't know what your touch is like with a ball. Mine was never any good to start off with. But um, fitness-wise, we might have we might have had half a chance because they were well out of condition um, and they didn't get any better. <laughs> let's put it that way. And the whole thing was an utter disaster. Great story. Um, he was. Um, uh, his career was later ended by a skull injury, um, and he's since enjoyed a long career coaching in Ukrainian and Russian football. Um, don't know where he is at the moment. Um, obviously, the situation uh, in both countries is somewhat uh, confused. That's probably understatement of, of the century. Um, but wonderful, wonderful Millwall story. I, I just love the the Russian story. Um, we haven't looked at Golkov. Um, but I just think that there's probably a podcast in it, Neil, at some point. We're going to have to go into, into their lives in a little bit more depth, but just a wonderful, wonderful Mill story. Um, indicative of uh, a very interesting period in Millwall life because we, we we nearly collapsed with a financial burden that they both imposed on, plus the stadium. That didn't help our cause either, did it? No, no, exactly. And uh, yeah, but it would be quite good. I know we're probably giving other people ideas here, but it'd be quite good to get. I think Peter Mead was quite heavily involved in the signing, wasn't he? We're an ideas factory now. Uh, we don't mind giving ideas. We're an ideas factory, mate. We're like the dream factory. We People build careers. David yeah, Bowie, yeah. people build careers out of want to be singles. You know, that's what we do. That's, that's you and me. Um, I've also picked out, just uh, before I leave this fixture, listeners, um, picked out Uwe Fuchs, who became a, a joke figure. Um, and I've picked out, <laughs> he was a German player that uh, signed for us in um, from, on loan for £750,000 we paid with Uwe. Can you believe that? Um, 36 games, just five goals, not much of a return from <laughs> for a striker. Um, known as Duve because he was always laying down. Um, Great. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. If you're gonna indulge me, Neil, and I've read one press report out. I'm gonna. I'm gonna read another. This is an article, so sit sit back. It goes just about pages worth. So I'm gonna read it if I may, before we move along. Um, Uwe Fuchs. This is from when Saturday comes. Uh, article was written by uh, a journalist called Harry Pearson. This would be round about 1990 something. It's on uh, 2002. Excuse me. 
Um, Uwe Fuchs, in a brief spell at Middlesbrough, he won the hearts of the fans and the local TV celebrity, if you believe the gossip. No doubt there are many players whose career illustrate Rupert Pupkin's Mangsim that it is better to be a star for a night than a schmuck for a lifetime. <laughs> I always thought of him as a schmuck for a lifetime. But on Teesside, none illuminates the point quite so brightly as a former West uh, Germany, West Germany under-21 international who was brought in from, uh, from Kaiserslautern by Brian Robson. Um, Middlesbrough recovering from bankruptcy. I'm going to whip through it. It goes on a bit reading it. Um, they've described his demented face-splitting grimace, which suggested Les Dawson's Cosmo Smallpiece. There's a character that I haven't thought of in a long while. He described him as a gurning forward, gurning. Uh, he hit the nine times for them and was sent off once and found himself the subject of rumours about an affair with a local celebrity TV star and rumoured to have decked a teammate who questioned the lady's virtue. Not bad for a man who only played 13 full games. So he, he had a bit of a checkered career, really, Uwe Fuchs, didn't he? There we are. Um, I thought I'd, I've had enough of him already. Now. He now works for a sports agency in uh, in Germany. As if he was real war, mate, really. <laughs> you were shagging some local Richard. We didn't, we didn't see that side of it, did we? <laughs> All we saw was yeah, him laying about on the pitch. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. And yeah, well, then he goes and decks someone else. Yeah, well, that's the stuff that real legends are made of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Achtung, Mailball. Just, we, we've mentioned the 95-96 the season. The, the previous disaster prior to that disastrous season was the um, the 1993 playoff uh, semi-final versus Derby County, Neil, which I, again that I was at. Um, this was a this was a strange um, event in some ways. Obviously, it finished in um, uh, mayhem at the Den, um, but this was this was the first season at the new ground. We, we actually were on the brink of being able to shoot straight back up to um, the top flight, um, but it didn't go right, did it? That that, uh, that semi final at all? No. The reason I chose this was I think that we're going to end up in. Or, yeah, there's a good chance we're going to end up in the playoffs. Yeah. And it will be our third time in the playoffs. And uh, the previous two occasions have ended in riots. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> we, we all know about the Birmingham riots. So I thought it would be quite good to revisit the Derby riots. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm just looking. There's, there's, I've just gone to May 1994, 93-94 season, May 1994. There's... There's a whole load of um, press coverage that pops up. Mill riot, Mill charged in the aftermath of um, of the riot. Um, it finished. With, I think it was a three-one loss on the night to Derby County. It was it was a strange stop-start. Um, we'd lost the first leg, listeners. I just found the that this was the um, the first leg played at Derby County. Let me just get this on here with me a second. We lost that two nil, didn't we? And we lost five-one on accurate. Yeah. but it was actually quite a good. Nick, you, you look at you, you look at the stats, and we won the first game of the season at Stoke two one. Yeah. Then, in typical Millwall fashion, we lost the next three, and were twenty third in the league. <laughs> can you imagine us being next to bottom? Uh, that'd have been awesome. Can you, you can you imagine Harry Warren? Can you imagine as? <laughs> I think. Um... I mean, we've, ready to... we've always done drama quite well, Neil, haven't we? I mean, when you think about it, you know, I know there have been some seasons where nothing much has happened, but when something does happen, it does happen. It's on, it's on the grand scale. Um, that was a dramatic season. Obviously, new ground being opened up and then a fairly low-key start, as, as you've said there. We've, we've, we've finished up in the lower reaches of the, of the second tier. Um, Division 1, I think it was called back then. Um, which wasn't on the plan at all. But eventually we would get through to the playoffs. Um, we'd finish up this two-legged semi-final with um, Derby County. And I'd forgotten the first leg entirely. I mean, obviously, you, your attention is forever focused on the, the second game at the Den, which was a 3-1 loss, which was a chaotic night. Um, but I'd forgotten that... The, I'm just looking at a report here. This is the first leg, listeners. Derby 2 Mill nil, and the Daily Mirror's headline nil is the base brawl ground. The base brawl ground, because there'd been a, a, a twenty a twenty man um, fisticuffs separated by uh, referee Paul Durkin, and there's a wonderful picture of Casey Keller with with a, his full mullet in full flow when he still had hair, 
trying to get involved in this um, brawl, <laughs> this pitch battle, as they describe it. I'm going to have to snapshot that um, that photo and put that out with this edition. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was it was, it was a fiery fiery first match. And then you got even in the second match. Wasn't there? There were two pitch invasions. <laughs> the, <laughs> Derby boss, this is after the first game, listeners. Derby boss, uh, Roy McFarland, um, player from the 70s. Apparently, they did a lap of honour at the end of the 2 0 first leg win, which had fired up McCarthy. He wasn't happy with that. Um, McFarland says, um, We had planned a lap of honour, whatever the result. We weren't trying to take the mickey. I would have settled for 2 0 before the kickoff. My team did their job splendidly. Uh, Gabby Adini and Johnson created havoc. But we know it's not over yet, Neil. The new den on Wednesday evening with Mill coming at full blast is going to be an intimidating place. That was that was um that was mis- visionary, wasn't it? It was gonna be an intimidating place. <laughs> yeah, we didn't need to be Nostradamus to to fucking dream that one up, did you, really? <laughs> Oh dear! So that was two nil down from the first leg, um, as as you say, and then obviously the second leg would finish in um, riot and mayhem, um, all sorts of uh, all sorts of uh, shenanigans, with a three one loss. Uh, but I think the game, the football, to be honest, became a bit secondary once the um, referee had, had to take the players off the pitch. <laughs> the result was not not in or there, was it? <laughs> Yeah, no, they took them off for twenty minutes, I think, in the in given in the first half, and then and then I think thirteen minutes in the second half, That's and Derby uh, yeah. Marco Gabbiadini, shit name, shit player, really, <laughs> wasn't it? We feel we've been through a war, not a football match, <laughs> and uh, Martin Taylor, who was the goalkeeper, he was a minor. A coal miner. He got floored by somebody. Described it as the most in- intimidating atmosphere I have known. I was punched in the ribs, but luckily I got to my feet quickly enough to reach the tunnel. Yeah, but he couldn't have been involved in the miners' strike then. <laughs> Fucking. He, he clearly wasn't there for the Birmingham one uh, ten years later either. Was, uh, six years, eight years later. Um, police made twenty arrests. Vi- uh, vehicles were overturned. Damage was caused in the car park. 30 fans, fans were ejected. Two police, police officers were injured. Um, yeah, it was it was a big night, wasn't it? Um, you know, um, didn't work out well. And then, there, <laughs> yeah, then there was the best quote of all. This, has, this should go down as probably Reg Burr's greatest quote ever. <laughs> there was no violence that I saw. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Oh dear, I don't know what he was looking at, Rich. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think he was Arsene Wenger before Arsene Wenger, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Reg. Unless you put your head you in can't a... can't fold No, no, you can't fold it. He must have put his head in a paper bag, Neil, because I don't know where you could look and not see it, but um, there we are. There was no one I saw. Yeah, no, I remember the game. I was covering it, I believe. <laughs> it was a, it was yeah, well, a he... landmark night. Let's put yeah, but yeah, but they go on about special Anfield nights when the European <laughs> cups up there. This was a special Millwall night, play, wasn't it? Playoff, fact, playoff night at the Den. Yeah, that's always going to be um, always going to going to stand out. And there's all sorts of press coverage in the aftermath, listeners, as you would have expected. There's the FA inquiry, and um, I think we managed to get away reasonably lightly, if memory serves. I don't because the talk of the ground being closed as, as has been done against us in the past, but um, we, we escaped all of that. I think there was um, a, some six months later, a fairly mildly worded, um, you know, rap on the knuckles for, for not controlling the fans it was this year, and that was about the strength of it. Yeah, well, didn't we have to take the first row of seats hmm. around the ground? That's why they all got removed. Something. Yeah, I think it was, it was stuck yeah. on that, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, the talk was of the ground being. I mean, the fans go on rampage here. This is the Dundee Courier, I'm reporting it up there. Um, the Irish Independent, Mill Face Riot Charge, the Paisley Daily Express, the Mill Face Riot Charge. Um, yeah, so it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was uh, quite nice. I think we did remove the the front rows. I don't know what good that ever did. I, that wouldn't really stop anyone getting on the pitch, but. 
Um, you know, they put the netting over, didn't they? They put the netting over the front row. Yeah. And go into the didn't they? And that kind of that kind of prevented people unless they really wanted to get on the pitch and then everyone just stood on it. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. This is this was a report here from the Daily the Daily Mirror. Mimmel's rioting fans have helped wipe almost three million pounds off the value of the club. <laughs> that was when we were reported on the stock exchange listeners. Apparently it had a big impact on the on the share price. Um so uh, yeah, that was one of the, the one of the side uh, issues. Uh, the the stock market value plummeted and shares traded at three point six pence. That was good because in the end, I think we we're down below one penny before it ever they got taken off the stock exchange. So, there we are, um, three million pounds wiped off the value of the club as well as all the other shenanigans. So that's 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 a that's a trip down memory lane for us both there, Neil. I think the uh, the Mill versus Derby fixture um and finally i thought we'd just close this is, as i said a few times across the um show listeners this is fairly randomly chosen i, I chanced upon a great account the other day wall art they always puts out some great images and photos and uh scans of old programs and whatnot and this is quite a picture of um dennis burnett challenging a norwich player called ken foggo uh in a two-all draw norwich city two Millwall two this was played on the 12th of Feb 1972 and I put it to one side so I thought it might be good for a, uh, our show that we're doing today. Um, got a match report, it finished 2 all, played in Feb 1972. Norwich's biggest crowd for 11 years, 34,000 packed into uh, Carrow Road, saluted both sides um, in, in a, with a standing ovation. It came after a battle of blood, sweat and tears in a tremendous second division promotion struggle. This would be the season, of course, listeners, um, that we would marginally fail to get promoted. Um, blood, sweat and tears. The blood belonged to veteran, Mill veteran Harry Cripps, who set a new club appearance record in his 314th league match. Harry Boy was bathed in blood for the final 10 minutes of a tight rope tense match which neither side deserved to lose. He took a full a full power clearance from Norwich debut uh, centre-half Bobby Bell on his right eyebrow. Blood streamed down his white shirt. He needed stitches later, but although substitute George Jack started limbering up on the touchline, Harry shooed him back to his seat. So blood uh, streamed down Harry Cripps' shirt. The sweat belonged to all 22 players who were warmly congratulated at the full time by the referee Gordon Hill. Not not our Gordon Hill, a referee Gordon Hill. Mustachioed uh, man, if memory serves. For the point, the tears belonged to Dennis Burnett, Mill's classy defender. His tragic own goal just before half-time might well have cost Mill fame and fortune, but Benny Fenton's lines twice refused to die in a in a, uh, in, a, in a He-Man match. So finished two each. Um, goals from blah, 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 blah. Maybe Gordon Posse. You have Gordon Bolland, 54 minutes, yep. and Derek Posse. So two great names there. Um, this would be, uh, this was a big top of the table clash at the time, listeners. Um, we would um, fall away slightly at the end of it, and then Birmingham would pip us to that second promotion place in a very um, famous, infamous. Um, marginal failure. It probably would set us back for the rest of the 1970s, in, in truth. Yeah, but that coincided with your debut. It did. Well, of I, course. The reason it? I was started going I was didn't... we were doing well because kids um, are swayed by success, aren't they? And um, we were going well in the, in the same division, and that's why I went. Yeah, well, we've never spoken about it on the podcast, have we? <laughs> Try not to mention it. You're involved. Try not to mention it. <laughs> I keep I keep it very quiet, listeners. Just you and me. That's what we talk about. Yeah, it's not Mark Kidd. He doesn't like talking about the goal he scored against Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I've picked out two players. I, I, I don't know. We, we, we mentioned Harry Cripps and we've mentioned Dennis Burnett a lot over these, these shows, no one way or the other. I don't know we've ever really looked at them, so I thought it might be nice, just as I both mentioned, blood-stained shirt for Harry Cripps and um, tears, as they put it in the report, for Dennis Burnett. Um, so I've just picked out um, the Wikipedia report for both players. Um, Dennis Burnett was a, a very cultured defender, and um, I, I saw him for a couple of years when I first started going. He... He played for Mill 67 to 74 and he came back for a short spell afterwards, just for a few games later, 
in the 70s, but he's, the bulk of his career was this uh, Benny Fenton era. Um, he was kind of like a, a defensive midfielder, I think you'd probably describe him. What was interesting about both Dennis Burnett and Harry Cripps, Neil, was that both began their career at West Ham. Um, you know, nowadays we, we have this kind of um, intense rival where anyone from West Ham gets booed off the off the park. But I just found it interesting how two stalwarts of one of our greatest sides were both West Ham products. Um, and Harry, um, we'll come back to Harry Cripps in a moment, but Burnett had also played with the likes of... Um, uh, Bobby Moore and uh, come through the West Ham ranks. It's just interesting times, aren't they? Just different in in the way that fans react to uh, these, these kind of rivalry, uh, what, as the Americans put it, games or clubs. Yeah, well, considering that Cripps' testimonial, we talk about riots. Cripps' <laughs> testimonial against the yeah the mob. A proper riot where you live. <laughs> a proper riot. That was, yeah, that was. A, Proper serious evening out that, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah, I was only about 12. I didn't go to that one. I wasn't allowed to go into evening games at the time, listeners. Um, Dennis Burnett, born in 1940. We're still with us, thankfully. He's age 78, um, born in Bermondsey. Um, started his career as a youth with West Ham, as we've said. Played 66 games in all competitions for the, the Hammers before moving across the river to, to Millwall for 15,000. Made 250 appearances plus for, for the Lions, taking over the captaincy whenever Harry Cripps was injured. Uh, he moved on into Hull City in the 70s and then a uh, bit of time in America and, and finished his career at uh, Brighton and then uh, in, in American and Irish football, Shamrock Rovers and the St. Louis Stars. Um, and I love these little details. He'd actually achieved some success in Norway. They played for a while with a club called SK. Horgar, Halgar, we won the Norwegian FA Cup. But I love the details that he ran a painting and decorating firm in the south of England after retirement and has been involved apparently with club hospitality for West Ham as well at Upton Park. This is an old an old report. Um, I'm fairly sure, Neil, and I don't, I'd love it if one of the listeners out there could confirm this. Um, and I've got it in my head. And I, I, I'm sure I read it in one of the programmes in the very early 70s that Harry Cripps, who will come on to, and Dennis Burnett were running a paraffin delivery business. And the club had a little paragraph saying that they would, would deliver to the uh, the SE14 area, deliver paraffin for, for people's paraffin meters. No one's ever been able to confirm it for me. Um, if anyone out there listens, <laughs> let me know, because I've, I've got it in my head. And if it's not right, I just want to eliminate it from my head. But I thought they were running a uh, a business. Didn't that used to be Gerald and... Uh... And Davies, the goalkeeper, they had a similar did they business? I don't know. Yeah, and there were a number of business interests that weren't entirely legal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sure I've read that Burnett and Cripps were delivering paraffin, um, and had a little paragraph in the old. Um, um, I've asked Brian King about this when when the, when um, we got to talk to him. He wasn't able to remember that. Um, and I, it might be it might be a construction in my mind, listeners. But if you two listeners out there, listen to the show, can confirm or deny it, then put it out my put it out my mind. Um, so anyway, there's there's Dennis Burnett, a, a cultured defender and a, and a great player for us. But I wanted also Neil, as Harry was mentioned in the Harry Cripps was mentioned in the um, in the match report there, um, blood strewn white shirt. I just wanted to touch on Harry Cripps because I don't think we've ever actually, I could be wrong, I don't think we've ever actually mentioned him in depth. We've mentioned him in passing and anecdotally along the way, but again, we've never really looked at Harry Cripps's career for for such a an iconic figure. He almost represents Millwall, doesn't he? As, as much as Kitsch does, Harry is the image of Millwall Football Club in many people's minds of a certain age. Absolutely, and uh, it, it, it was interesting that they had a they had a they had a thing on Hoff about Millwall hard men in the week, and uh, and a couple of people didn't even mention Harry Cripps. No, it's the biggest, biggest hard men this club's ever had. Four hundred and forty-seven games, forty goals, nineteen sixty-one to seventy-five. Very nearly, apparently, got released at the end of his first season, <laughs> but then went on 
And <laughs> imagine when you almost released Henry Richards in his first season. I suppose it's oh, football turns on such decisions, marginal decisions, moments come and go. Um, Harry Cripps, Henry Richard, nicknamed Harry Cripps, born in 1941. He would pass away of a heart attack in 1995. Um, made his name. He started with West Ham. Um, he played in their youth FA Cup winning side, the famous West Ham side, alongside the likes of Bobby Moore, um, Eddie Bovington and Jack Burke. I'm going from the Wikipedia here, listeners. Um, he would cross to um, uh, Millwall in 1961. And as they put it here, and then we'll come back to this, was a fan favourite due to his bustling combative performances. And this is the thing that is, is quite hard to get across to um, modern football fans, Neil, because Harry very much had a relationship with the Millwall crowd. He was their favourite and he loved them and they loved him. And he there would be an interaction between him and the crowd, almost like, um, uh, you know, I'm, never, I'm not old enough to have gone to the musical, but when you see depictions of the old musical stars, they would banter with the crowd. There was a a mutual relationship going on. That's how it was with, with, with Harry Cripps. Um, and as, as, as it would go on through the sixties, obviously you had the unbeaten home record. And as they put it here in uh, Wikipedia, drawing on the intimidating atmosphere generated by Mills, famous, famously vociferous fans. Um, he was, he was by no means the best player you will ever have seen. He was certainly, by some distance, the most loved player. And I don't use that word lightly because I think in football, you know, big words get misused and used very, very uh, quickly and lightly. But he was certainly a player that was loved by the crowd. Um, it, it's quite hard to get it across, but unless you were witness to it. And I was lucky enough to, to, to see Harry in his final couple of seasons. He would depart us in 1974, very much at the end of a... Um, a long career um, with Millwall, obviously part of the 71-72 side. But they would go to Charlton, who actually was instrumental in them getting promoted. They were a third division club at the time. He joined, um, I think the name of the manager was Andy Nelson at Charlton. And he played quite a part um, in geeing them up to get promoted back to the second division. So he had quite a career. Um, and he would he would coach, strangely, after after... West Ham, Millwall, Charlton. He'd finish up at Winchester College, Neil, uh, coaching an elite fee-paying college. It's quite a, quite a contrast, isn't it, for a career? Yeah, but he went to the University of Life, didn't he? Didn't he just? <laughs> didn't he just? Yeah, but Millwall. Um, I found unbelievable. Yeah, this is the Daily Mirror. He, he, he sadly passed away in 1999. He had a stroke and then he had a heart attack. Um, passed away in 1995, and I, I found. Um, uh, an obituary on the on the Daily Mirror, so it's a big splash obituary um, in their sports section, um, which I will read in full um, because I, th- I like it. It's called the Lion that They Never Tamed. Picture of Harry Cripps in his pomp there. I think this would be the Everton game. Um, in fact, yes, Cripps celebrated a goal at Everton. I'll stick a picture online when we put this show out. Um, we talk about fitness now. He carried a bit around his middle. Harry did. <laughs> It was not not a slim guy, was he? <laughs> it's a little bit round the, the shirt stretches a bit round it round the, round the waist. <laughs> um, death of a legend. Death of a legend. Harry Cripps. Harry Cripps was the fiercest line of them all. A Mill legend whose name is still spoken of with awe at the Den. Cripps, a fullback whose t- tackles on the Saturday were still a topic in midweek. Died yesterday from a heart attack, aged 54. Cripps was one of the star names at the Den, a marvellous crowd-pleasing, in a marvellous crowd-pleasing career in the 60s and 70s. Born in Norfolk, in Deerham, but bred in the East End, Cripps joined the Lions from West Ham and made 447 appearances for them from 1961 to 74 as a tough defender. He played in successive promotion-winning sides, 1964-65, He would later play for Charlton and then was assistant manager at Charlton, Crystal Palace and Southend. Only fellow Lion legends Barry Kitchener and current skipper Keith Stevens have played more, but Cripps is still warmly remembered at the Den. Uh, This was written in 1995, listeners. So the current Mill chairman, Peter Mead, led the tributes to Harry. Uh, Mead recalled, in the early days as a young fan, he was the hero of the whole of Bermondsey and Peckham where I lived. 
and meeting him in later life, you knew the reason why. He was a very self-effacing gentleman and a very attractive personality without an ounce of malice in his body. One of my favourite stories about him was when a famous winger came down to the den to, hoping to dazzle us. Harry tackled him in the first five minutes, and as the winger lay on the ground, one fan shouted out a memorable, hit him again, Harry, he's still breathing. Um, <laughs> we sadly missed. <laughs> um, another fond anecdote which Cripps told himself came in the 1960s in the match against Bolton. Their star at the time was Francis Lee, famous for England striker, Manchester City striker and Derby. Um, Cripps reminisced, I remember when we beat Bolton 2-0 when Franny Lee was playing. When he ran out onto the pitch and heard the noise that greeted me, he said, you're popular, I'm going to keep out of your way, which he did. He went back, stayed in his own half and disappeared. Cripps had that effect on opposing forwards, but he could also play, and he was adored by the fans for it. Mill players will wear black armbands for their game on Monday against Leicester. Um, I just thought that was a really nice obituary. Uh, indulge me a little bit, listeners, by reading it out completely, because um, wonderful. A Mill name, well, the Mill name, as, as the piece says there, and some great anecdotes. I love the one about him again, Harry. He's still breathing. I think that's... Um, it has the, the kind of rawness of um, the den in one sentence written written down the middle of it. Love it. Yeah, well, I think Harry Cripps was the embodiment of Millwall, wasn't he? And uh, yeah. what it is to be Millwall and uh, wasn't overly blessed with skill. But if you can prove that 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 you put in 100% every game and and you do and you are engaging, you'll go a long way down at Millwall. Absolutely, and he, he represents I mean, Harris Bar. Obviously, at the Den, isn't Harris Bar? Uh, is named after the man himself. I believe quite a few people, one way and the other, around the Den are named Harry after Mister Cripps. So um, there's 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 the influence we carried with it with him. Neil, I think we've reached the end of our hour, mate. We've done an hour of uh, reminiscing and going up and down the memories, highways and byways. It's, it's been a good one, mate. I've enjoyed it. Yes, yeah, so have I. It's something different, isn't it? I know that we that we try to do these in the summer but it's just something different there's nothing to talk about this week so we thought we'd just prattle on for 66 minutes about give about next to nothing really about nothing that's totally relevant to Mitwell Football Club at the moment superb way to spend the Friday morning isn't it? I hope you enjoyed it listeners we've certainly enjoyed doing it um, do keep in touch with us with suggestions and, and, and um, we, we may not be able to do all of them. Sometimes the research gets a bit, um, you know, you've got to put some something in to get this information out. But um, do get in touch. We're always open to suggestions. And um, as we found doing the, the show, there's ideas that get generated along the way. So we'll have to come back to some of those, I think, at some stage. Neil, it's been great talking yes, to you, mate. Great, great. Thanks for spending Thank And um We'll be back after the Norwich game tomorrow um, with a post-match reaction. So until the next show from Neil and myself, it is Arrivederci Millwall and bye for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.